0: I want to make sure that everybody, well, uh, that you're at least thinking about it. Um, And not just kind of letting Easter and Good Friday just kind of sneak up on you and go by without spending some time meditating on the most important event in human history. Um, And maybe even beyond, and, and then personally, the most important thing that's ever happened to you uh which is you know that that uh, anyway I, and i think it's a good idea plus there's there's there have been a lot of really not biblical and uh not helpful pictures of the cross that have you know floated around in circles that we uh that that, that we walk in for a long time and i kind of want to go after those a little bit so uh let's we can do that but first let's go to the father Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, as we gaze into the mystery of the cross, pray that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. Lord I pray that the cross which was a stumbling block to the gentiles and a foolishness or foolishness to the to the gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews Lord I pray that 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 we would see it that we would behold it in all of its offensiveness today and that we would come face to face with our offense with the ways that the cross offends us so that the cross can be its full it can have its full power to save us from our sin to the depths of all that uh of all that sin has done to us i pray that we would wrap our arms around the offense of the cross i pray that we would that we would embrace it and that we would feel the rough wood of the cross and that we would feel the blood of Jesus pouring over us to bring us in. That the death that Jesus died would be our death so that the resurrection life of Jesus can be our life. Ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I'm trying to decide where we go first. I really want to kind of cover maybe three different sets of scriptures in regards to the cross, um, if that's possible. Which you know, uh, you know how difficult that is. <laughs> in this class to cover a lot of uh a lot of ground Um, let's start in romans chapter five guys are really quiet today just everybody's muted did you guys get yelled at about being muted About like staying muted, and I just feel like I'm talking to a dead I feel like computer screen. Well, yeah. that's, <laughs> also,
1: like some people are at home, like in their living rooms, so background noise, kids screaming, dogs barking. So Nathan's just like, yeah, everybody just mute, shut up, and listen.
0: No, that's I mean, that's that's <laughs> probably a good idea, and 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 you know, my children are yelling and screaming too, so I don't even know what's going on, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, unfortunately, I kind of need to be unmuted in order to teach the class. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go to Romans 5, verse 6, and we'll probably go all the way through, um... Just making sure because i'm looking at a copy and pasted thing and i don't want to not revelation romans you dumb computer come on let's go I want to look at. All right, we're going to look at Romans five, six, all the way through to the end, Um, and then we'll we'll delve into uh, uh, Romans five and then into Romans six as well. So I'm just going to read Romans. I'm just going to read Romans five and into Romans six a little bit. And then we'll come back and we'll talk over the highlights. So uh, Romans 5 verse 6. uh, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of, from the wrath. If your translation has of God in there, that is put in there by the translators, that is not in the original text. So, saved from the wrath through him. For while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. therefore, just as one man through one man, sin entered the, into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many. The gift is not like through the one who sinned for one for on the one hand the judgment from one resulting in condemnation but on the other hand the free gift from many transgressions resulting in justification for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Hold on, I want to see how far I want to read here. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified... In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body we'll we'll stop there okay so Paul is unfolding his uh his understanding of the cross and where're um he says he says while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly he says but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us then in verse uh that's verse eight then verse nine he says since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath. Um, and then, verse ten: For, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Okay. So there is this picture that we need to under that we need to understand that number one, in verses six through nine, or six, seven, and eight it's telling us that the cross of Jesus Christ is a uh is a demonstration of the love of God okay that that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is it is a demonstration of the love of God and i think sometimes we understand that but we also don't um so because while we were still sinners we had not begun to repent we had not begun to reach out for God we had not begun to uh to uh, uh, even think about God. We weren't godly people. We were ungodly people. And here God is. Uh, he He is there to uh, demonstrate, to show us through Jesus, uh, his love for us. He is putting on display his love for us. And the cross is a display of the love of God. Now, there is this, there is, this picture out there that the cross is a display of the wrath of God. Okay, that's kind of uh, they, they say that, and, and you've probably heard this this theory, this this story, this narrative before. It goes like you know it goes like this: You sinned. God was angry. Okay, God was furious with your sin, and God had to punish your sin. But because he loved you, he poured out his wrath on his son instead of you, right? That he poured out his anger, his wrath, all that, and he punished Jesus for your sin, right? How many of you? you I mean, you've all heard that, yes? Okay, that's the narrative we've been we've been told over and over again that sin must be punished, and that because of that, sin had to be. That someone had to be punished, and and if it's because God loved you, he decided not to punish you, he decided to punish Jesus instead. Okay, but if as you walk through the, the different passages that we're gonna read, you're not gonna find that. Okay? You're not gonna find that narrative. There's only one place, and it's in Romans chapter three. In fact, let's go there, where you might maybe be able to I think it's in Romans three. Forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Where you might maybe be able to find a way to make that argument. Is it Romans 3 or Romans 4? It is Romans 3. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you. This is the end of Romans 3. as a propitiation in his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration i say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus okay so th- that story that i just told you about god was god needed to punish sin and so God punished Jesus instead of you. This is really the only place in scripture where you can find that. And the reason it's there is because we have misinterpreted one word. Okay. A single word has been misinterpreted. And it's, it's the word in verse 25 where it says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Okay. The Greek word there. Are you ready for your Greek word for the day? is hilasterion okay that's the greek word hilasterion all right and and we automatically uh, and if you look if you look it up in the dictionaries it says propitiatory but that is not how this greek word now follow me this is going to be a little bit thick are you ready for this those of you that are on the screen just nod at me if you're ready for this because we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit trail all right and here's how it works Okay, this word, hilasterion, Um this is the the uh the Old Testament that Paul and all of the disciples and Jesus quoted from, okay? Was uh the uh oh man, my brain just shut off. What is it called? It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, okay? Almost every time that you see the Hebrew Old Testament quoted in the scripture, they're quoting the Greek translation of, of, that, uh, of that text. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up because all of a sudden I can't remember what it's called. The Septuagint. Uh, it's It's called the Septuagint and it was it came out not long not long before Jesus was born and it was the Bible that they read because Greek was the was the common the business language of the Roman Empire and uh these scholars had taken the original Hebrew text and they had translated it into Greek and it's the Septuagint now what we do when we when Uh, we study, we tend to go back to the original Hebrew text, or at least the oldest Hebrew text that we have, okay? But that may not be the smartest thing for us to do, because the Septuagint was translated from even older uh, Hebrew texts into Greek, and it was translated by experts in the Hebrew language, experts that were much closer to the original Hebrew language than we are today, okay? So, uh, in the New Testament, almost every time you see these, uh, these you will see Greek words that are being lifted right directly from the Septuagint and plugged into the New Testament, okay? Um, and when they quote it, they're quoting the Septuagint, that that Greek ver- version. Now, what does that have to do with this? Um, this word hilasterion, okay, is the Greek Word that was used in the Septuagint for the mercy seat in the Old Testament. Okay? For the mercy seat of God. So when Paul uses the word hilisterion, which is a very, very obscure, not regularly used Greek term, okay, when Paul uses the word hilisterion, it is much more likely that Paul was referring to the mercy seat of God than he was referring to other uses of that word in Greek literature. Does that make sense? Okay, Paul was talking about the mercy seat of God. Now we say we have it as translated here for us from the Greek into English as propitiation. The reason that that's a problem is because propitiation means in our language, propitiation means to appease a bloodthirsty god. Okay, to throw a virgin into a volcano, to, uh, to you know, to 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 the gods are angry. We have to sacrifice to to make them happy again. Right? That's 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 what the word propitiation means. In case you wondered, uh, propitiation means that it means to sacrifice something in order to make a divine being no longer angry with us. But we know our God better than that. We know that our God is not a bloodthirsty God. And we know that our God prohibited human sacrifice all through the history of the Old Testament. We know that our God is is not an angry God that must be satisfied. That's not the God that that Jesus showed us. And only a, a couple chapters later, the Apostle Paul says that the cross was about uh, the demonstration of God's love. Okay, now here it says that uh, the forgiveness that God gave us was a demonstration of God's righteousness, which is a whole nother thing. Huh, which we're not going to go there. This is also an issue of of translation and interpretation. And N.T. Wright wrote uh, like an 800-page book about this, phrase the righteousness of god uh which has to do with god's keeping of his own covenant and it's not about god was shown righteous by punishing sinners that's not how god has ever shown righteous in the old testament or the new that's n- god never shows himself righteous by punishing the wicked that's not god shows himself righteous by taking care of the poor god shows himself righteous by forgiving the repentant god shows himself righteous by uh by by uh watching over the 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 widows and the orphans that's how god shows himself righteous and that's how god always teaches us to show ourselves righteous is by being loving which matches much more with romans chapter 5 than this like in Romans three, we have ticked off God, and in Romans five, we have loving God. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If the cross was about God's anger and about our need to be afraid of Him, then uh, then then Romans five just doesn't uh, Romans five doesn't jive. That's there. You go. That's that's your that's your uh, your rhyme for the day. It just doesn't jive. If the cross is about God being ticked off and angry, then then it doesn't jive. So what was the cross about? Well, that's simple. I mean, it's not simple, actually, it's not simple at all. Uh, but it's it I read it to you in Romans five and six, okay, so let's go back there. Alright, so while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So there is a reconciliation that's taking place. God is drawing us in to Christ. Through Christ, God is drawing us in to himself. God is destroying the arguments, destroying the things that stand against us. uh, Through the death of Jesus I'm trying to find. Okay, so we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. I know we're bouncing around, but that's what we have to do because there isn't any place in the Bible where the cross is just fully explained. Uh, And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, The first one is that they were trying to figure it out. You need to understand that the disciples were, were praying through and talking through and thinking through the cross and what the cross meant. Uh, they were working it out with the help of the Holy Spirit themselves. They didn't have a perfect picture of what the cross meant or what the cross looked like. They didn't have a perfect picture of all of the theological ramifications of the cross, and so all through the, the early, all through early Christianity, you have the Apostle Paul and, and the other disciples, etc, working through the, the theological ramifications of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. and the apostle and, and, uh, and the Apostle Paul especially is the one who's doing a whole lot of theologizing about, uh, about the cross. Okay, so I'm looking at Colossians chapter 1. And this is during the great hymn about Jesus and who Jesus is. Okay, so I'm going to start in verse 15. Uh, Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of this gospel that you have heard which was now proclaimed in all creation uh, under heaven and which I Paul was made a minister okay so um, God was in the cross of Jesus Christ reconciling all things to himself Uh, and Jesus had to Jesus had to die in order to enter into death, that he might be preeminent even among those who ha- are the fir- even among those who have risen from the dead. Okay so Jesus uh, uh, what happened when sin came into the world was that all of creation was subject subject to death. Now in Romans chapter 8 and I'm not going to go there and read because I've done enough reading for today, but in Romans chapter 8 it says that everything was subjected to death, uh in hope okay that God allowed sin to infect all of creation so that when Jesus came okay and he and he took all sin into himself and he went down into death that he could come back out of death and be uh, victorious not just for uh not just for human beings or for, uh, or for specific, you know, he could come back out of death having conquered death and brought all of creation through death and into resurrection. Does this all make sense? Okay, so Jesus had, had taken all of sin. sin. Sin went out into the world and sin was allowed to infect all of creation so that when Jesus took all sin, and I say all sin, into himself and killed it. It died. All of those things connected to sin also went into Jesus and went through death and are coming up back through into resurrection. Okay? That is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was purging sin from all of creation. He was ending the influence of sin on all created things. Now, I... I know that you're going to want to ask me questions about like universalism and blah 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 blah. We don't have time for that right now. Uh, uh, I'm not a universalist. I'll just say that. I'll just say that right now. Okay. I do not believe that all people are saved, but I do believe all people have the opportunity to be saved. And I also believe that Jesus actually did forgive all sin, even the sins of those who don't accept. Uh, who don't accept his sacrifice on the cross. But that's a whole nother uh, just because the sin is forgiven doesn't mean that you have been reconciled to God. God reconciled himself to you, but has God reconciled but have you been reconciled to God? That's a whole nother question. But we don't have time for all that this morning. We just don't, because that would take about six or seven hours. Um, so before we continue to to delve into the depths of The mystery of the scriptures. I want to halt now. And I want to ask if there are any questions. Questions. Do I need to go back over anything? Is there anything that uh, was difficult to understand? that you want me to go back and cover again? Or explain more fully. Get a reading log start it out. Shut up! You do realize I'm on a video call in here. I'm trying. They're yelling and screaming and banging. And shut them up. I understand up. that, but I don't know what you want me to do. I want you to shoot them in the head. I'm trying. I'm going back. Sorry, I had to yell at my children for a moment. So, any questions? No. Well, if you don't have any questions, I doubt whether or not you're even listening at this point. (laughs) I mean, I've just covered a lot. So, uh, no, seriously, talk to me, somebody. Let's, Let's begin a conversation because I don't wanna keep moving Go for it. Anybody? That's
1: a lot of information.
0: Right. That's why I wanted to stop, because I feel like I have already overloaded you. We've read about two full chapters of Scripture, and I've tried to theologically unpack one of the largest theological issues in the Bible. And we're not done. So, I have some questions. Okay? Let's do it this way Who killed Jesus? Somebody answer. Who killed Jesus?
1: The high priests.
0: Okay. So, God didn't kill Jesus.
1: I would say
0: no not. You're correct. God didn't kill Jesus. Humans killed Jesus. The
1: people, What's the, the people did. Yeah,
0: it was us. The Romans killed Jesus, humans killed Jesus. We are the ones. We are the murderers of Jesus. Human beings. Okay. That's very important that you understand. Because there's a whole lot of theologians out there who would try and come to you and say that God killed Jesus and it's malarkey. Okay, don't believe it. God the Father did not kill Jesus. God the Father was in Jesus on the cross. If you want to ask the question this way, where was God on Good Friday? The answer is he was on the cross. That's where God was, hanging on the cross. Okay, the cross of Jesus Christ is not... Uh, is is not what god required so he could forgive you the cross of jesus christ is what god endured as he forgave do you see the difference there okay and some of us have bought into okay like one one of our favorite songs well i don't know if it's your favorite song but there's a big song okay on the cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied wrong and no bad not true that is not what's going on on the cross i'm gonna like blow the my microphone that's not what's happening on the cross i reject that that verse completely i love that song but that ver that line of that song needs to be changed because it's not true this was not an angry God who needed a sacrifice in order to forgive humanity. This was a loving God who became, the, who became the sacrifice that was required to save man from their sins. Death existed because of sin. Death had to be destroyed. The only way to destroy death was to get inside death and blow it up from the inside, which is exactly what Jesus did. You guys remember the first Men in Black movie?
1: Uh, Never
0: seen Men in Black. <gasps> You're not missing that much, really, Ross. Uh, but uh, the first Men in Black movie ends like this. And spoiler alert, okay? All right. But Tommy Lee Jones, he, there is there, and Will Smith are fighting this gigantic cockroach. It's like 15 feet tall. All right. And Tommy Lee Jones says, "Eat me, eat me!" Right? And the cockroach eats him. And then Tommy Lee Jones is inside the cockroach and he finds his gun and he blows the cockroach up from the inside, okay? That is what Jesus did, okay? Jesus looked at death and said, eat me. And he went inside of death itself to blow it up from the inside out. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what Jesus accomplished. He had to kill death and by to do it, he had to die. To do it in, the, in a loving way, he had to die. And in that way, he was in our place. You're going to hear lots of different people talking about how Jesus uh, took our place. Yeah, he took our place in death. He did not take our place in the judgment of God. This was not, okay, there's another thing that you might see, okay, which is like a courtroom, right? And here you sit, okay, in the courtroom. And God, the judge, is there and he says, guilty, and I pronounce the death sentence, right? Okay, and then Jesus And and then just as you think you're going to be taken out to have your head cut off, Jesus steps in and the the shackles are put on his hands. That may be very dramatic and exciting, but that's not what happened. God was not sitting in judgment on the human race and I required death. No, 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 no. It's not like that. Death already existed and God wanted to eliminate it which means that God had to go into it and destroy it from the inside. Okay, In the Old Testament, the horns of the altar were a really interesting thing. Okay, There was this idea that if you could get hold of the horns of the altar, the, the Bible says that anything that touches the altar will be made holy. And you won't be able to use it for anything else because now it's holy. Okay, Anything that touched the altar would be made holy. It is holiness that's infectious, not sin. It's holiness that that conquers over sin. Not the other way around. And we need to recognize it. We need to understand it. Any questions? Go ahead.
1: Okay, so this is kind of backtracking but i wanted i needed you to explain something again
0: yeah
1: uh because i caught part of it but i missed some of it because it was a lot um the misinterpretation of the word propitation,
0: propitiation
1: right? propitation?
0: propitiation propitiation
1: sorry yeah um because i know you said that it was just a misinterpretation and that that was not the correct word that was used could you explain that again because i caught part of it but I yes didn't, like fully grabbed
0: right it. okay the word propitiation in English means. Sorry, something weird just happened over there. Okay, the the word propitiation in English means to satisfy an angry God. That's what it means. Okay, um, the the word in Greek was hilasterion, okay, and hilasterion was the Greek word that was used in the Septuagint to talk about the mercy seat of God. That was the mercy seat was. The Hillisterion. It was the place of cleansing, the place of reconciliation. Okay? When blood was offered on the altar in the Old Testament, it was not, they were not trying to satisfy an angry God. That's not what was going on. They weren't killing. There's no language in the Old Testament of that animal taking the place of of the of the of of the people that instead of killing you I'm going to kill this animal that's not that's not how the old testament sacrifices worked okay the only place where an animal took the place of of someone was the was Abraham and Isaac right Abraham took Isaac up Isaac was going to be the sacrifice right but uh that was not a sin offering. That's not what was going on. This was an offering of devotion and worship unto God. This was not Abraham uh uh sacrificing his son so that his sins might be purified. That's not what was going yeah. on. And so but we we tend to mix up that language. The way that offerings worked in the Old Testament was that it was providing it was creating a space where God and man could exist simultaneously. That's what that was what that was doing. It was the holy it was the whole it was it was opening the 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 life of the creature like it, it, as I read in uh Romans chapter six. Oh, if we're justified by his death we're made uh well let me find it and I'll and I'll read it again. Um Romans five ten for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life it was the life of the creature that was being that was being released to make a space where God and man could cohabit uh without there being without there being difficulty this was not a uh, a a substitutionary or propiti- propitiatory sacrifice that's not what it was about the lamb wasn't taking the place of israel the lamb wasn't taking the place of of it's it's not we kill this lamb so we don't have to be killed that's not how it worked and so when we say that that's what we were god was doing with jesus we're just throwing away the language of the lamb of god because that's not how old testament sacrifice ever worked does that make sense yeah so and when paul says This is the Hillisterion. He was saying that Jesus was becoming the place where God and man could dwell together. Which is why we have to be in Christ to have a relationship with God. Does this make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: Do you see how different that is from throwing a virgin into a volcano?
1: It goes from satiating an angry God to Jesus became the place of mercy for us. Yes. kind of
0: wild yeah and and that there's been whole uh whole uh theological systems built on this legal understanding of there was there was a uh, uh something there was death that was owed so death was paid that's not that's wrong god was angry because of sin and he had to pour out his wrath no that's 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 wrong that's too simple. <laughs> it's too and it's too worldly. That's bringing our God Yahweh down to the level of Zeus or one of the other gods as if that's who God was, as if that's how God wanted to operate. He didn't. God wanted God was showing his love on the cross. That's what was being demonstrated and Jesus in John 17 says and I I'm about to go and be glorified the way that the the Eastern Orthodox church talks about the cross is fascinating to me we had we had Brad Jerzack an Eastern Orthodox uh uh guy at our church this summer and and I asked him to to serve communion to us which he said that because of the way that, that ordination and stuff works in the Eastern Orthodox Church, he couldn't actually serve communion to us. But he would walk, but he said, I will walk you through our thought process surrounding communion, and then you can and then Pastor Josh, you can serve communion and, and we'll we'll be there. And this is what he said. He said you remember that there were two trees in the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. And he said, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we recognize the cross as the tree of life. And that when we come to eat the bread and drink the blood, we are coming to eat the fruit of the tree of life. Is that crazy or what? I was just like, whoa! Like, my God, I had never heard that before. But isn't that different? Isn't that radically different than than the way that we see?
1: Literally one word translated differently changes the entire perspective of theological debate.
0: (laughs) It does, because what everybody did was they translated that particular word incorrectly, and then they used that verse as a lens to color every other picture of the cross in scripture. Yeah. Now what's clear is that Jesus died for our sins. That's very clear. That's, but it isn't that God required Jesus' death to forgive us. It's that the wages of sin was death. <laughs> and the death existed and death therefore must die. And we find a forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' death because he is the place of mercy. Does this make sense? But it's not propitiatory. It's not like that. It's not satisfying a, a ticked off God. That's not what's going on. Jesus died for our sins. That's true, absolutely. I I wholeheartedly agree for that. But Jesus wasn't being punished for my sins. Forgiveness means I pay for what you did. Like if if you were to take you know if you were to take your car and smash it into my car. And I said to you, I forgive you. The real the Christ-like forgiveness would be for me to pay for my the to pay to fix the damage to my car, and also to pay for the damage to your car, even though you are the one who crashed into me. Right? That's yeah. what Jesus did. Jesus took on the cost that was coming. Not from God to us because of sin, but from sin to us because of sin. When The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Where do those wages come from? Do they come from God or do they come from sin? They come from sin. They don't come from God. God is not the giver of death. Sin brings death. God brings life. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: So does that help? Yes. okay
1: yeah
0: a lot yeah that that verse when I first began to read this and began to hear people talk about this issue that that uh, you know we had misinterpreted the cross or whatever i I this verse was kind of my biggest stumbling block because I was like well what about this sorry about that that I'm reading that says that uh that Jesus was our propitiation which is the only verse that says that by the way and then I uh, uh, I began to read into that word, and then I found several Bible scholars that were like, we're reading that word wrong. One of them is uh, N.T. Wright, by the way, uh, who is one, my favorite theologian of this current moment, but many others that were saying, no, 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 Hillisterion does not mean throwing a virgin into a volcano. It, it's The wages of sin is death. The, those wages come from sin, not from God. And what God was doing was paying for was paying what we, basically he was accepting the wages of sin. That's what he was doing. And the free gift of God is our life. All right. Is everybody on the same page now? Any questions before we continue to move forward?
1: I, I have a question. Yeah. So in, how are you saying how like, in um, like Romans 5, how they like, like the word was like they translated the word wrong yeah in
0: romans 3 they translated the word wrong but anyway go ahead
1: and do you think that happens like more does that happen like in old testament a lot or like new testament or which like like chapter do you think that happens a lot in
0: in the bible well i mean here's the problem when we when we uh anytime someone translates the bible okay they're going to do their best but every human being has bias okay and the people that translated most of our current translations of the bible are people who are who were um uh invested in that translation or that the people thought that that's how the cross worked. So they already had it in their head that Hillisterion meant propitiation. Okay? Not only that, but the people that wrote the Bible dictionaries, the lexicons that these people wrote, that these people used to translate our versions of the Bible, also had it in their head that that's what Hillisterion meant, was propitiation. Which is why it's important to uh, always keep looking. Because there's other things too, and that is that we're talking, when we talk about the Greek that's in the Bible, we're talking about a Greek that was used in the first century AD, okay? That's 2,000 years ago. Right? And you know how languages change over time? I mean, think about it. Think about words that we use now, that that nobody used back then. Think about how uh... Like, oh, let me think. Well, okay, and this is terrible, but think about the word gay, right? 50 years ago, the word gay meant happy, right? <laughs> that's what it meant. Now it means homosexual, okay? <laughs> that's a very different, you may not even be aware of the fact, but that's why Christmas songs have like, you know, uh, we put on our gay apparel, you know? Okay, that's, it's, it meant happy, okay? That's what, and languages change over time. So uh, not only do you have to be able to read Greek, but you have to know what specific words meant in the first century AD because that's when these letters and these books were written. And the more stuff that we find, archaeological evidence, other things, as to how the Greek language was used in the first century AD, the more we will come to understand what the people meant at that time. Okay. Not only that, oh man, here we go. Stuff like what I said about the Septuagint. Okay. All right, that was a Greek translation of a Hebrew text. And we are just since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we are coming to understand now much, much better the way that the people of Jesus' time and of the disciples' times understood the the hebrew text because the way we understand biblical texts change over time as well all right and it, the biblical text doesn't necessarily change but the way a group of people think about a certain text changes over time and we're only now beginning to have enough stuff that was written like commentary that was written about the bible about about the hebrew bible <laughs> During the time of Jesus, we're beginning to understand, oh, they have whole sets of ideas back then that we have no connection to and no understanding of. Now, we're beginning to go back and read Paul's letters and read the Gospels and read other things that were written at that time and see them through a different lens because now we have a whole lot more literature uh, from around that time that makes the, the, the literature that's in the Bible really opens up new ideas to us about, about that. So in other words, uh, you just got to keep reading and keep studying and keep learning and keep going and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand because our understanding of the Bible is constantly changing and that's not ever going to change. Okay. Until we get to heaven, we're never going to have a perfect understanding And maybe not even then. We're never going to have a perfect understanding of of everything that the Bible says and all these little nuances, okay? But let me give you something to hold on to. Can I do that? All right, because I know this might make you feel unstable. Can I do one thing? Jesus is Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect revelation of who our Father God is. So if you see uh, anything Anything in the Bible that makes you see a picture of God, boy that doesn't that picture of God does not sound like Jesus. Jesus is right, and your interpretation of that verse is wrong does that does that make sense? Okay We can trust the book of Hebrews tells us the book of Colossians tells us a lot of other places in the Bible tells us Jesus is the perfect revelation of our Father God. So when you see something in the Bible that makes you think, well that doesn't sound like my father God at all. You need to go back that what what you need to do is slow down, read it again, take it to the Lord, say God, I don't understand this because I don't want a picture of you that doesn't look like Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. All right. Did that did any of that help? Yeah. <laughs> I know it was a lot, but any other questions, guys? Okay, so we're going to move on. We have a few more minutes here. We're going to move on. So what we have is. One, the cross was a demonstration of the love of God. Two, the cross was not a demonstration of the wrath of God. It's important that you understand that. Okay. And three, this next uh, cross was, I'm trying to decide where I'm going to go. Let's go to Philippians chapter two. The cross was a demonstration of the way God loves and the way God leads. Okay. So Philippians chapter two, we're going to start with verse two. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Okay? Jesus was demonstrating kingdom authority on the cross. Jesus was showing us that greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life, for his friends. Jesus was continuing his mission of demonstrating what love, godly love and godly leadership really looks like. It looks like servanthood. And Jesus served us to the uttermost by going all the way to death to serve us. We need to understand the way of the cross becomes the way of of the way of the Christian, the way of the cross, self-sacrificing love becomes the pattern that we are to follow from here until forever, that we should be a people who would rather die than kill our enemies, that we should be a people who are not about, uh, who, who don't seek power for its own sake, but seek to be powerful on behalf of the powerless, we are ones who seek to pour out our lives in the service of those who need it the most. That's what Jesus was doing. He was giving us the way of the cross, the way of this of self sacrificing love. My friend, the the uh the uh Eastern Orthodox theologian that I told you about a minute ago, he talks about it like this. He said the cross uh D- displays jesus displays our and because it displays jesus this way it also displays our father this way because jesus perfectly shows us the father it teaches us that god is all forgiving all giving self-sacrificing love he's and co-suffering i forgot that god is co-suffering all forgiving self sac- uh self-sacrificing love okay Co suffering, all forgiving, self sacrificing love. That is who God is. The cross of Jesus Christ was the ultimate demonstration of the nature of God the Father as all forgiving, self sacrificing, co suffering love. Let's walk through those things one at a time. All forgiving. Okay. There was not a sin that Jesus looked at and said, I will not forgive that. Okay, that's not a thing. Now you're going to talk to me about, oh, but what about the uh the 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 you know blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? We'll talk about that some other time. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means that you've become so hardened and so jaded that you cannot receive the forgiveness of God. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Leave it. Okay? It isn't that Jesus doesn't want to forgive you, it's that you refuse to be forgiven. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I can prove that to you from Scripture, but we're not going to do that right now. Okay, So there is no sin that Jesus looks at and says, that's too big for me to forgive. There's no thing that we've ever done that Jesus looks at and says, well, now I hate you. Okay, that's not happening. There isn't there isn't a, a a state of brokenness that a human being can enter into that would cause God to say, "Well, never mind. I don't like you anymore. I hate you." That that's not a thing. That's not real. That doesn't exist. All right. And we need to we need to understand that, and we need to preach it, and we need to shout it from the highest heavens that God is not a God who does not forgive. That God is not a God who gives up. That God is not a God that's running away. That God is all forgiving. Okay, that is we we've got to grasp that. We've got to understand it and we've got to curl up in it and be grateful for it. And we have to allow that reality to so permeate our spirits that the enemy can no longer can can no longer in any way cause us to feel shame or 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 guilt or fear or any of those things that uh, that, that the enemy would try and do to keep us from understanding the fullness of what god uh, uh of what god has for us this is, this is uh this is the huh, hmm, the reality of of what the enemy's constantly trying to do he's constantly trying to tell us that oh god's given up on you oh god has not forgiven you oh god is not interested in forgiving you oh it's over you've sinned one too many times no no the cross of jesus christ stands as an eternal a uh, vision for us to know that God is all forgiving, okay? Even as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he was forgiving the men that nailed him there. That's who our God is. Okay? That's all forgiving. Okay? He's also what did I say oh, co-suffering. So this is a really really huge and important important point. Jesus is co-suffering. God the Father is co-suffering, okay? Uh, whatever we can say about human suffering, you know, how many of you have taken any kind of philosophy class? You've talked about the problem of evil. Anybody? It's a big deal. Okay. The problem of evil. Well, if God's really good, then how can there be evil in the universe? How can there be evil in the world? Okay. How can there be suffering? How can, you know, well, we have a God that's different than this platonic God that they're talking about. We don't have a God who stood off at a distance and said, Hey, that's your problem, not mine. You're just gonna have to deal with it. We have a God who made our problems his problems. We have a God who came and suffers with us. He suffered as we suffer. As the book of Hebrews says we don't have a uh we don't have a high priest who is unable to uh to 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 understand our suffering. We have a high priest who understands what it means to suffer. We have a high priest who understands what it looks like to be in pain, who understands what it looks like to to be in difficulty. We have a high priest who's with us in it, crying our tears with us, walking through pain with us. He is co-suffering. Now that means a couple things. Okay? One, it means that truly... There is nothing you've gone through that Jesus has not suffered the same or worse. That should bring real comfort to you. God is always present and at work. That means here, that means now, that means in the midst of your pain. Okay. It also means that when you go looking for God, don't go looking outside of your struggle. He's not waiting on the other side of your struggle for you to figure out how to do it right. He's not waiting on the other side of your struggle, just rolling his eyes going, when are they going to figure that out? No, 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 no. God is there in the middle of your struggle and your pain. And that's where he wants to meet you. He has things to say to you. He has words of wisdom and encouragement and, yes, rebuke to speak to you in the midst of your pain. That's where he is. So uh, and, and in Pentecostal circles, guys were really good at being a people who, who just want to numb. We don't want to feel pain. We want to deny that pain exists. Okay. As a Pentecostal preacher, the Lord gave me a pretty heavy sermon to preach on Sunday for Palm Sunday. Uh, it was, it, it was pretty tough. And I, I wanted to do the Pentecostal thing and like be mr triumphalism okay just be like jesus is here and he's taking everything away and he's god who's destroyed all the bad stuff and all the good stuff is all that's coming now and we don't have to suffer and blah 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 well i would be ignoring half of the new testament and i'd be ignoring a co-suffering god if i were to tell you that we weren't supposed to suffer we are in this life, you will have trouble. That's a direct quote from Jesus. So anybody that tells you that we shouldn't be sick, that we shouldn't have pain, that we shouldn't struggle, they haven't read the New Testament, or if they had, they have ignored it. They've ignored half of the New Testament, okay? All your faith preachers that are out there that are just like, well, you know, if you just believe you will be healed every time, praise God. No, no. No no no. The Apostle Paul spent whole months of his life in illness. Uh there's come on, we gotta we gotta get beyond the name it and claim it, absolutely. We gotta get beyond these folks that are like, God is here to give you your best life now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, I know. I just spoke the I I didn't say his name. All right. Come on, bro. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna say his name. Because we don't we don't speak we don't speak the name of uh Well, uh, and he who must not be named, we're not going to mention it um but uh but that is God is not that's not it. God is here in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, He didn't avoid pain, he didn't walk away from it, and God's not waiting on the other side of your pain, He is there in the midst, he's got something to say, he's got something to for you to hear, it's something for you to learn. In the midst of your pain. What God, God uh, is not as interested in healing your pain as he is in giving your pain a purpose. Okay, hear me. God is not as interested in healing your pain as he is in giving your pain a purpose. In giving your pain worth That's what Jesus, Jesus is not the the one here to just take away all our pain. Jesus is here to meet us in the midst of our pain and make the pain that comes from living in this life. okay. He is is here to give worth to your pain, to make your scars badges of honor. He is here to use the struggle that you've gone through to heal others who are in the midst of the same struggle that you were just in. That is how Christianity looks at pain and suffering and scars. God is a co-suffering savior. And yeah, there will be an end to suffering. That's coming. But this is not that time. Go read everything the Apostle Paul has to say about suffering, and it's a lot because he's a man who understood suffering. Well, now somebody, somebody loved Jesus right now. Okay, so what did I say? All forgiving, co suffering. What was the other one? Self sacrificing. God is all about spending what is his on your behalf. That's that's I mean we we really have already spent most of our time talking about that up to now. Any questions about co-suffering? Thoughts, questions? Okay, here's where the rubber really meets the road for the co-suffering thing. Okay? It's that not only has God has God shown us that he is a co-suffering God, but God has also called us to be a co-suffering people. God has not just call, shown us that he is a co-suffering God. God has called us to be a co suffering people. I'm trying to find a verse here, real quick. Back to Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'm going through a rough time, but I am doing that because I am co-suffering with you with Christ. I am sitting in the midst of suffering with you alongside you, because that's where Jesus is, and that's where I want to be. So when we go and we choose and you know when we try to minister to people when we try to step into situations, we need to be coming we need to be moving the same way Jesus moved we need to be operating the same way Jesus operated, and that is via a co suffering place. We need to step, not reaching down from above. And I'm in my place of perfect, of I'm doing great. And let me teach you how to do great too. No, 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 no. Because that exalts me over you. And that means that I'm doing better than you. And that's just not true. (laughs) We're not reaching down. We're reaching across. I'm a suffering person. You're a suffering person. And I'm reaching across to share. Let us all come together in the place of suffering, knowing that Jesus is here for where two or three are gathered in his name. He is there. And Jesus is with us in the midst of our suffering. Jesus is here. And what the world needs is a people of God who understand what it means to suffer with To be with the world. That's what the world needs. We need to be a people who are with those who are lost. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Didn't Jesus come? Didn't Jesus make our problems his problems? Didn't Jesus leave behind heaven and come to the earth and take on broken human flesh and live amongst it? He became a child, an infant, the the. Omnipotent God became an impotent child. Omnipotent means all powerful. Impotent means zero power. So no power. Not talking about erectile dysfunction here. He became a child with no power. All right. We'll we'll kind of wrap up there. Any questions for, as we uh in the last 5 minutes of our time together? No.
1: I have a question Pastor Josh. Go for it. It's not it's not related.
0: That's all right. But is it okay? Okay. Um, so actually uh, with the the first years of reading this book, uh, Honors Reward by John Devere mm. and in it he's talking
1: about at one point how after um he's uh he made Saul king and then you know Saul starts to do evil in the sight.
0: It talks about how uh God says he regretted that doing that. I just wanted to get a better understanding on how um God, or why God would do something that he know
1: or he knew he would later regret.
0: Sure. Uh, when he regrets making Saul king, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I can't remember exactly where. I'd have to go look at the book again, but it talks about how he said God regretted his decision to make Saul king. Yeah, there's there's multiple places in Scripture where it says that God regrets something, and we automatically kind of go, well, didn't God know this was going to happen? right? Because God knows everything and God knows the future. So if God knew he was going to regret it, then why did God do it in the first place? That's your question, right? And, uh, and, and, and a lot of theologians have, have asked that question and some people have actually just totally, uh, you know, we talked about this, I think last week about open theism and how there's people that say, well, because God didn't know what they were going to do. And that's why God regretted it because, God knew they could do that but he didn't know if they would. And I have a huge problem with that. I don't I have a big problem with any theology that says that God doesn't perfectly know the future. Um but uh but I would say that uh, uh it isn't it isn't that God didn't know. It's that God has actually given us choices that have consequences how can we learn to be mature how can we learn to, be, to, to, to rule like God wants us to rule if our choices don't have consequences and God knew what Saul was going to do but God still had to give Saul the ability to make that choice and God was going to do what He needed to do to to bring about His righteous purpose in the end. God wasn't afraid that that uh, God wasn't afraid that what God wanted to ha- ha- you know to accomplish was not going to take place. But God has given us responsibility and authority. I mean, when it says that we will rule, rule and reign with Christ, that's true. And we have been given a a level of authority. and, And God gave Saul the kingship of Israel, which means that Saul had the ability to royally screw up Israel. And look at the later kings. Good Lord. Look at the later kings. How much did they, I mean, to the point where God had to send his people into exile because of the choices made by these kings. Do you think God was excited about the choices the other kings made? No, God wasn't. God hated the choices that they made. But in order for us to be held responsible for the choices we make, our choices have to have consequences. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: And anybody that tries to simplify that for you and say, well, God knew, but he was secretly at work. no, God was putting it out there. Here you go, Saul. You can bring life or death to this kingdom. What are you going to do? And Saul chose to bring death, which is why God deposed Saul and removed him from the throne. Right? The other thing is that God gave Israel a king that was just like them. He didn't want to give them a king at all. Right. And... You know, He told them, if, if I give you a king, these bad things are going to happen. Do you still want a king? And they said, yes. Right? So God chose Saul as the guy. But it doesn't mean that God was going, man, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> when it says that he regrets that he made Saul king, it doesn't mean that God, you know, if I could, I'd go back and change that decision. That's not what regret means in that situation. It just means that like sorrow yeah he felt actual sorrow as to the choices that's all had made it's i mean it's it's kind of a tough thing for us to live in the place where we understand that our actions have consequences and not just i mean eternal consequences they really do which is why we will stand before the judgment seat of God. It's a scary thing. Welcome to adulting. <laughs> That's what God wants. He wants to grow us up so that we have nothing to regret in the future. Is that, Josh, did that help? I mean, is that yeah. explained? All right. Yeah. All right. Let me pray for you and I'll let you go. Abba, Father, Lord, I want—I just pray. I, we just barely cracked the surface of the mystery of the cross today, but Lord, I—I I ask that, uh, Lord, I pray by Your Holy Spirit that You would stir us to contemplation of the mystery of the cross. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would find us in moments over these next few days as we approach Good Friday. That you would stir us to the place that we would think about the cross of Jesus, that we would weep over the cross of Jesus, that we would rejoice over the cross of Jesus, that we would pull open your word and and dig deep into the story of the gospel, the story of the cross of Jesus, and the beautiful... (laughs) the coronation of the King of Life that is your crucifixion, oh God. Lord, let us look, let us look at the cross and let us be shaped and formed by a love that is all-forgiving, self-sacrificing, and co-suffering. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, guys. Love you. I hope you're doing well. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. a Neville. What? <laughs> I have no idea what